the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP and Regional Director for EP Wealth, CFP, Chad Burton. You can find him online at chadburton.com. You can grab a podcast of his new focus on wealth, either through Apple or through Google, the Google store or the Apple iTunes store. You'll find it. New focus on wealth with CFP, Chad Burton. Chad, let's talk about planning for retirement and the phrase detailed cash flow projections. That scares me. It sounds like a lot of math, so to speak, and it's retirement. I don't want to mess this one up. Well, yeah, and, and it drives everything. It drives your asset allocation, how much cash versus stocks versus bonds and other assets that you need. It drives your tax projections in terms of which accounts do you draw from first? Do you do any IRA to Roth conversions in retirement? It's really important to get that portion of your plan done very correctly within you know ten years from retirement, and you know a lot of people don't track every single expense that they have, but you have to kind of generalize what you spend and what you're going to spend in retirement, and uh, estimate some of the things that you know are going to get you out of bed and keep you feeling ful- feeling fulfilled in retirement. Hopefully, I can work fifteen years, but honestly, I may be retired in five ten years. So this is scaring me that you're bringing this up. Um, how far am I behind? Because I have no detailed cash flow projections at this point in time. Is this something I really need to step up to the plate with? Yeah. I mean, and this is why I tell people sometimes you got to practice retirement. You know, Take those long sabbaticals and figure out what you're going to do with yourself. Um, are you going to golf a lot more? Are you going to exercise a lot more? Are you going to travel a lot more? Um, there's a lot of things that as planners, as certified financial planners, they, they put into the plans that people might not be thinking about. Like right now you have your health insurance covered by a company. But when you retire, you're on your own from until age 65, right? So you got to figure out what what's the cost of, say, a platinum uh, plan after your COBRA runs out. And then at age 65, you've got Medicare Part A for free, but you got Medicare Part B you got to pay for. How much you pay depends on what your income was two years prior. And so you could be paying a lot more than your neighbor for the same expenses. It's called IRMA. So we, we project that in the plan. And you have you know Part D, you have supplemental insurance coverage. We have all the stuff that we add in there. But what are the other expenses besides healthcare costs? Um, you've got travel plans, right? Mm-hmm. And what I see is that smiley face style of spending in retirement where you spend more the first few years of retirement than you were spending prior to retirement because you're doing the bucket list and the honey-do list. And 
then your travel tends to slow a little bit in the mid 70s to to, to 80s um, and income actually tends to drop or, or if not not income but expenses tend to drop and then they start to go way back up because of healthcare costs in the 80s and beyond or could be earlier if you're not as healthy um, the other things that need to go into your expenses what about gifting do you have a favorite church or charity that you're going to accelerate your gifting to are you going to have grandkids that Boy, every time the grandkid comes, we feel like we need to fund the 529 plan for their college um, and help them out. Uh, things that people forget in their expenses is like, I, I, I'm going to need a new car every seven to 10 years, or if not sooner, or some sort of a perpetual lease payment. Are you going to have weddings that you have to pay for? Um, and then other tax issues that might be coming up if you're going to sell a property or, or you know, stock options that you need to exercise when you retire, those types of things. We've known each other a long time because when you said the word grandkids, I was like, oh my gosh, Chad could be in a position where he has a grandkid soon. Isn't that <laughs> Isn't crazy, that crazy how old your son is now? Yeah, exactly. We met, you and I met when, when you know, he was just a, a month and a half, I think, before he was born. And now I was thinking about it. He's only two years away from when I first had my first child. So that's pretty crazy. Okay, okay, let's get back to financial planning because that's that just blows my mind. RMDs. I'm in a situation where I've got a Roth, I've got a 401k, I've got a SEP, I've got an IRA, my wife has a couple of these. It's too much for me to think about right now. RMDs and from IRAs and phantom taxes like capital gains. How am I gonna pull all the the nitty-gritty, the details together to get income in retirement, Chad? Because it's it's a lot of math, it's a lot of um accounts. It is, and there's a lot that goes into it. Um so First of all, required minimum distributions from IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. That's when you have to take money out. And the new age is age 72. It used to be 70 and a half, but now it's 72, where you have to start taking money out of those accounts. Um, even if you don't want to, you have to. Um, the only way you can kind of get around it is once you're over 70 and a half, you can start gifting to charity out of those accounts. That's a great, that's a whole other topic that is actually one of my favorite topics is the charity stuff. But you have to project out when you first do a cash flow projection, you assume that you aren't taking those required minimum distributions until you're 72 and see what your tax situation looks like um, it, to see if there's any room for a very low tax bracket for the first several years of retirement until you're 72 so you can take some of your money out of your IRAs, convert it to a Roth because there's no income limits for that at this point and start building up a tax-free pool of money. But the projections have to be really detailed because you might have Social Security, rental income. Uh, the stocks that you own in a taxable account are kicking off dividends. The bonds are kicking off interest. Uh, mutual funds and ETFs uh, can kick off capital gains distributions. That's where you can actually owe a tax without having sold anything. Um, 1999 was a huge year for that. 2021 was a huge year for that. Uh, so you have to, each, each time you program an account, this is why online calculators, Robert, are almost worthless. Right. Because when, when we use our financial planning software, it's, it's not only projections and investment analysis, it's also tax software is built into it. So each taxable account that we enter into the program, each position, we know what the dividends are we, uh, from the stocks. We know what the income is from the bonds and things like that. And we also have to plug in a realization that, hey, these accounts get rebalanced. Sometimes we have to sell and you know, peel some gains off large cap growth and, and reinvest somewhere else. Um, and you've got to assume a certain tax out of your investments and assume that age 72, you got to pull money out of those IRAs. Um, so we can detail the cash flow 
the projection out and, and then look at the tax projection and see what's the effective rate that this person is paying each and every year until they're 100 years old and where are the opportunities to save taxes in the long run? Um, See, so you know how every year you kind of work with the CPA and say, how do I pay the least amount of taxes this year? Yep. Well, in retirement, it's a total change of mindset. You, you're, you're making an asset work for you for the next 35 plus years. And so you have to switch to say, okay, how do I pay the least amount of taxes over a 35-year period? How do I blend this out? How do I smooth this out? And also, how do my heirs pay the least amount of taxes on what I leave them? So since we, you talk about living to age 100, that gets kind of complicated. Let's talk about protecting against longevity because I have no clue what years 90 to 100 are going to look like, let alone age 60 to 70. How do you start figuring this stuff out? Well, it's interesting because it's like there is an increase in life expectancy for those that do have the resources because there's so much out there that people can do for their health if they have the money to do it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's so many different, you know, I love talking about the healthcare issues. Um, and so people are living longer that have the higher net worth because they can afford to eat better and, you know, exercise and do things like, you know, infrared saunas and those kind of things. So not you stress. have to have a very, con very conservative projection on how long your money is going to last. Like your first run at it should say, all right, make sure that you have a conservative rate of return of let's, I mean, you're going to do better than this over time. Let's say five and a half percent, but two and a half percent inflation on your expenses, 5% inflation on your healthcare costs. And make sure that that first run at it, that you and your spouse could live till age 100. Um, and if not, you got to make some changes, either your asset allocation or when you retire. So real quick, any last thoughts on social security? Is there any tips or hints or tricks that we could pull off there? They, they, Continue to take those tricks away. A lot of it now is just, do you take it at your full retirement age or age 70? And how do you play off your spouse's income? Because when the first spouse dies, the surviving spouse keeps the larger check. So you've, you've got to be careful when it comes to that. Oldest person on the planet in the world, Kane Tanaka, who turns 118 years old. Add in another 260 days on that. That's a long time to live, Chad. Since you talk about living past age 100, what do we kind of need to know as far as um, that 4% rule, as far as some of the rules or things that maybe we projected or we learned from our parents um, as far as living long in retirement? Well, the 4% rule is dead. Dead. And it's, 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 it, the math doesn't work anymore. Not a missing <laughs> child. Not a missing child. Dead. It, dead. Yeah. Got it. It's, it's, dead and all but buried at least for the next I don't know, at least you know decade or so i mean the the math was created that rule of thumb was created you know in the early 90s that was mm -hmm. basically said okay if you have a million dollar portfolio and you know you can survive on forty thousand dollars a year four percent of that and the portfolio is balanced you know kind of like a 60 40 stock bond mix and you start off by drawing four percent a year you'll be able to increase your draw with inflation and have enough money to live till you're 100 years old. But that math was created when bonds were paying way more than they are now. So when it comes to stocks, I'm a full believer that in a 20 plus year period, you're still going to see those 10, 11% average annual rate of returns in stocks with growth and dividends. But bonds, when you buy a bond, it pays interest and then you get your money back. And 
what happened was is that prior to the Great Recession that started in 2007, back then the 10-year treasury was you know, well over 4.5%. And CDs and you know, savings accounts were paying people a lot more money. And then all of a sudden there was a great recession. There was COVID and all this monetary stimulus and uh, feds buying a ton of bonds. It forced bond prices way up and interest rates way down. And while we, you know, will likely see above a two, two and a half, probably 3% 10 year treasury in the coming years, I I doubt it's going to return to where we were for a long period of time. Um, The government can't really afford it, right? Because they've issued so much debt. And if, interest rates go way up, then that kind of increases their, their budget, right? To, to service the debt. Um, so that just means that that half to, you know, 40% to half of the portfolio is earning a lot less than your parents or grandparents, which means retirement's more expensive. So the new rule is if you can afford to live off of three to three and a half percent of your portfolio at retirement, plus your other income, like social security, rental properties, things like that, then you should probably be okay if you're allocated correctly. You should be able to increase your withdrawal rate by inflation every year. Um, but it, you know, retirement's more expensive and people are living longer. So it kind of changed the way I thought about retirement anyways. It's interesting because I was kind of hoping you'd say that you could pull 5% or 6%, but nope, you got a little bit cheaper on us and go in 3.5%. Um, if people are willing to delay retirement, does that help the whole new rules? And again, I like the idea of new rules. I'm a little uncomfortable because I don't know them. Um, is delaying retirement a good tactic? It is. And I think that, you know, doing this for over 28 years now, I think when I got into the business, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to save as much as I can. The, the power of compounding numbers and how the stock market grows and takes care of people. I'm going to retire when I'm 50, right? Well, I've seen a lot of people that retire and they get bored and then they, and, and they don't focus on their health and they don't really know, you know, they just get bored. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get to that point in life where I, I wish I would have, you know, traveled two or three weeks to Thailand with my kids or done all the stuff that I can do now. Hella skiing, cat skiing, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I would rather know that I love this business. I saw my grandfather work into his 80s. I don't mind working later. It, I think it's healthy. So I'd rather take more vacations and sabbaticals now and enjoy life and delay retirement. Um, that's how it's kind of changed my thinking, Rob, because I've seen too many people retire, not focus on their health, and they spend their 70s going to the doctor, and then they're just not, you know, they're just not that happy. I just really want to focus on health and memories, right? Um, so delaying retirement, it, it can be great. I mean, right now there's, you know, a lot of demand for good employees. So you might have options to take sabbaticals and things like that. So if that makes sense. I got, I kind of strayed from the question, but I think you get what I'm saying. I like it. So I've got some dumb ideas of what I can do in retirement from starting an Airbnb, you know, as a property manager kind of thing to, you know, even driving for Amazon. It sounds wild, but it's so opposite of what I do now. It would be kind of fun for me, I think, until I actually do it. And then I'm going to regret ever saying that ever out loud. But let's talk (laughs) about my um, stock side of my portfolio as I'm kind of an ideal client for you. I've got money. I'm getting older. um, And yet, I I don't really have a great strategy with income and dividends. And I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle put together yet. And it'll come, I think. It's starting to. I got the outside of the puzzle. But what do I need to know about uh, stock side of my retiree portfolio? 
Uh, in, in terms of you know how how you allocate it, it I mean it's it's pretty typical of of what most people do. I mean, you first of all you, you have to focus on asset allocation. You don't want to be going into retirement with you know more than five percent in a single stock or way too allocated in one sector like just technology. Um, you know because then you'll go through pockets of big underperformance. Um, so there's asset allocation, but there's also asset location. So you you have to make sure as you're trending towards retirement, your taxable accounts, that's, you know, your individual account or a joint account with your spouse or a trust account. Those accounts should hold your, you know, your large cap stocks, your tax efficient large cap and mid cap ETFs and tax free bonds. But the other asset classes that you need to own, small cap, small cap value, emerging markets, international, uh, corporate bonds, those types of things should be held in your retirement accounts. That'll help keep your taxes lower and help you control, you know, when you pay taxes on those sources of income. And then I like, of course, a bend towards dividend paying stocks, stocks that even in bad economies and bad markets like 2008-9, even though their stock prices are down, they'll still continue to increase their dividend. And so at retirement, we turn on the taps. Like everybody's reinvesting their dividends all the time uh, as they grow their wealth. But in retirement, if you're trying to maintain a certain amount of cash, you, you start taking those dividends and interest you know, and put it in your checking account. And that's a good portion of your income. And if you can live off your dividends from your stocks, your real estate, and your social security, that's great. Um, you may not even need bonds, but uh, most retirees do need bonds. So the question, and this is a personal one, this has nothing to do with the listeners. It's all about me accessing a CFP for free for a second. Will I be doing any day trading in retirement? Like, and if there's market correction, will I say, you know what, I'm going to put $100,000 on XYZ semiconductor and then I'm going to pull a $60,000 trade on it as it bounces right back? Or am I going to be doing that or is that a stupid dream or is that you slap people like me for saying that out loud? I, I, th- I have several clients. Um, got a client, Susan. She's probably listening. She's actually really <laughs> successful at it. She does a lot of covered call writing and things like that. But she she limits it to a certain amount of her portfolio, and then we're managing the stuff that she can't afford to lose. Okay. Um, so if, I don't care what it is that keeps your mind active and and, and engaged, whether it's doing some trading, um, you know, whatever it may be. If if it's healthy and you enjoy it, and you limit yourself to a couple hours, so it's not taking up your entire day and ruining your family, then then go for it. Um, but keep it to a small amount of money that you know you can afford to lose. Just a bad image of me in front of a computer on a Robinhood account trying to trade, 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 buy, buy, buy. It's not a good, it's not attractive. It's but 5 p.m. Yeah. Your wife's telling you to shower. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's never a good thing. Um, <laughs> right. She just sends me outside. She hoses me down. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Chad, one of the best things um, that our Congress has ever done is created retirement savings vehicles for us, whether they be IRAs or Roth IRAs or 401ks or 403Bs. Um, But it can get complicated because now suddenly I'm throwing down a lot of jargon right there. Explain the idea of an IRA individual retirement account conversion to a Roth. Sure. And it's important for people to consider this because in 2021, uh, there was a big push by the administration to take these all away. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so, you know, build up those Roths when you can. So obviously, okay, first of all, the difference, money that goes into a a typical 401k or IRA is pre-tax. You save, you know, if you put in a dollar, you save anywhere from, you know, 15 to 40 cents, depending on your bracket and taxes and the money grows tax deferred. But when you retire, everything you take out is 100% taxable. And then at age 72, you're forced to have to take some out each year. The, the, the government wants you to drain your account by the time you die, essentially, so that you, they get their tax income. And so Roth 401ks and Roth IRAs, the money goes in after tax, but it grows tax-free forever. And then when you take it out, it's, it's great because it doesn't affect other things like Social Security taxation and things like that. Um, so when people retire, the best thing they can do is they can have some cash, some taxable accounts, some pre-tax retirement accounts like 401ks, and then money in Roths. Mm-hmm. And in, you can... Seriously, Rob, have six figure plus income and and pay very low federal bracket. Um, so the idea of what you do in in retirement when you first retire, yep. from whatever your retirement age all the way up to age seventy two, is you can control your bracket because you don't have to take money out of your IRAs. And if you look out over the long term and your detailed cash flow projections and your really good financial plan, and you realize that hey, I'm going to have money left over that's going to go to my kids um, or sometime later in life, you're going to be in a much higher bracket for some reason, then you should consider filling in your tax bracket every year. In other words, if you are retired and you get to November and you go meet with your CFP and your CPA, um, you do a tax projection and they might say, okay, you have $10,000 left at this existing tax bracket before you jump into the next bracket. Well, you can move that 10000 from your IRA, convert it to a Roth, pay the taxes now, and then it'll grow tax-free for the rest of your life. And then once your kids inherit that money, they can have another 10 years of tax-free growth. So it's a really good asset to leave your kids. Um, and it helps you control your bracket later in life. So every time you do a little bit of money in converting from an IRA or 401k to a Roth in retirement, it's going to reduce your required minimum distributions and help you control your bracket and keep your taxes lower for longer. Segments like this help people not make financial roadmap mistakes. Don't you kind of wish, because I'll admit I can't, I do. Don't you kind of wish you can go back in time and like go, oh, why did I start with a regular IRA? I could have got a Roth. Or why did I do a 403, what 401k instead of a, a Roth 401k? Do you ever have any regret about financial decisions you didn't make? Um, <laughs> I guess the... It's just, you know, buying more when I could have on big yeah. corrections. I mean, the worst thing you can do on a big 10 to 20% correction is be scared. Um, those are your buying opportunities for the next five to 10 years. And I wish I would have, you know, when I was younger, sold more stuff on eBay or something so I could have thrown the money in the market. Um, the other thing is that, you know, when people have a large amount of cash put to work, let's say they have an inheritance or a windfall from stock options or whatever they're always afraid to put it all into the market at once because they're like, oh, the stock market's at all-time highs. Well, guess what? It's positive 70% of the time. So 70% of your life, it's going to be at all-time highs. So a lot of times we average cash in when people have a large amount to put in. We'll say, okay, well, let's do it over every two weeks for three or four months until you're fully invested. And most of the time I look back and I wish I would have just put that all in at once, right? We probably mm-hmm. would have had slightly better results. So that's, that's the, those are the, the big ones. People ask all the time though, Roth, about hey, should I do the Roth 401k or the or the regular 401k? Should I get the deduction? What's the and answer? 
you know, well, for younger people starting out before they hit their stride on big earnings, I do the Roth because taxes are going to be much higher in 20 years just to pay for all these budget issues and social security and things like that. If you're retired, if you're, you know, older, let's say you're, you're 55 years old and you finally got to your earnings potential and you're starting to make a lot more so you can save a lot more. It, it, you then have to be a little bit more careful in your projections and say, okay, are, if you're ahead of the game and you have, are, you're on track for retirement, then you're probably going to want to give up some of the current tax savings to start building Roth money because you already have too much in pre-tax money. But if you're 55 years old and you're behind the curve and you're at a higher bracket now than you will be in retirement, you should probably still stick with the pre-tax because once you retire, you'll be at a lower bracket and you can do some of those conversions. So I guess the answer is it depends. There's a lot of those answers, right, when it comes to financial planning. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about um, the product of Roths. Are they similar to 401ks where your adjusted, your modified adjusted gross income changes every couple of years? You get to put more money in. Is it something that we need to continue to educate ourselves on? Yeah, every year, the, the, those that can fund a Roth IRA directly um, is limited by your modified adjusted gross income, which is a little bit different than your adjusted gross income. Um, so, you know, once you get over the, you know, into the 120s single and, and 190s married, you need to start, you need to make sure you're consulting your tax advisor before you fund it. <laughs> but Roth 401ks do not matter when it comes to your income, that it, anybody can fund it. And most large company 401k plans like Facebook and Apple, Cisco, Microsoft, you have the option now to max out your pre-tax amount um, into your 401k and then get a match. And then you could plug a certain amount of money in after tax that converts to a Roth totally uh, you know, without, without tax, taxes at all. That's called a mega Roth 401k. And those are still around as of now. And... Um, I would take advantage of those while you can because we have clients that are putting in nineteen five to twenty seven thousand pre tax plus another fifteen to twenty five after tax that's getting shoved into the Roth bucket of their four hundred one k and it's something that you need to think about for sure. For our listeners who are intrigued and they have a four hundred one k at work, can they call their HR and say, "Just start me with a Roth four hundred one k if it's offered"? Do they have to change their allocations? Do they have to go in and do that? You know, ten percent into large cap, ten percent into mid cap, ten percent into small, or is it just the same formula for the Roth as it is for the four hundred one k? No, typically your your allocation choices are they make you make your allocation choices in terms of investments for each bucket. Okay, um, and then that question, can I do the mega backdoor Roth four hundred one k? Yeah, you typically have to call that eight hundred number on your statement. Usually, you're dealing with like a Fidelity Schwab or Vanguard, and um, you'll know it might be possible if you have a drop-down menu that says, do you want to contribute after-tax dollars? That, that's a big clue on, hey, this option that Chad's talking about might be available in my plan. you have a little time to talk about bonds with us? Sure. What do we need to know as far as bonds and junk bonds? Because junk bonds sounds like it's junk, it's no good, but it also has a higher yield and we always chase yield, not we. Um, people want to chase you. They want to get the most bang for their buck. What do we need to know about junk bonds? Well, I mean, the, the issue is that a lot of high-yield bond funds, that, you know, when you and I got into business, they were called junk bonds because that's what they were. They're low credit quality risk. And I mean, years ago, they were paying like 10% because you're taking a lot of risk. Now they're low, really low rate. So uh, what we do is we categorize 
fixed income investing into three areas. You got your tax-free bonds and in your retirement accounts, you have your core bonds, which are conservative. And then you have your uh, unconstrained bonds or strategic where they can kind of go into the world of, of high yield and junk bonds and emerging market bonds and things like that. Um, and you just have to be careful right now. There's floating rate funds too. Um, right now, I do like in a rising rate environment, people using their uh, stable value fund and their 401k as their bond choice, I think is, is a pretty wise choice as interest rates are rising and bond funds are struggling. Now, Chad, there's a couple kind of bad words on Wall Street, corrections and bear markets. What's the difference between a correction and what's the difference between a bear market time-wise, pain? Are they bad words? Are they really good words? I don't know. I think the best thing you can do uh, in when it comes to investing is um, when you hear the term correction or bear market, you have to equate it to shopping list and be okay. ready to start buying. <laughs> so a correction is when the stock market or an asset class uh, or sector. Um, so, you know, the overall stock market, S&P 500 or the Dow and the NASDAQ, a lot of them have the same stocks in each of them. But when you see it come down 10% from a recent high, that's a correction. When it hits 20% from a recent high, that's a bear market. Um, and there's all sorts of lengths of different bear markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually on, a, on an annual basis, we have three, five to 7% corrections per year. But people kind of got spoiled in 2020 and 2021 after that big dip in April of March and April of 2020. Um, and then just went straight up. Um, and so, you know, people have kind of investing Alzheimer's when it comes to corrections, they almost forget that they come and they forget how they felt in 2008 and 2009 when, you know, that, that bear market that in 2008 and 2009 started in October, 2007 and bottomed in March of 2009. And so they can last for a while. And the worst thing you can do is try to time it and sell. Cause even if you sell right, you got to get back in eventually. And that's the harder part because it just never feels right. Usually the best trading days come out right after the worst trading days. And as soon as you sell out, you miss out on all those dividends those stocks are paying you. And you should be reinvesting those dividends, those dips, trying to find a way to buy more. So, um, you know, correction should be a happy point in, for people that are trying to build wealth. And then for retirees, as long as you have the correct amount of safe money and dividends and interest, you know you have a plan and they won't affect you as much as if you know what the plan is. It's like the way I approach a portfolio, Rob, in retirement is that we're always expecting the best, but we're always preparing for that next bear market. So corrections can hit like Asia. Corrections can hit high valuation growth stocks. Corrections can hit the healthcare sector or the banking sector with lower interest rates. Uh, What do you make of the overconcentration in a portfolio and how it's a bad idea because a correction or a bear market can can take you out, so to speak. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, let's just look at the S&P 500 from the makeup between 2011 to 2022. I mean, there's a couple of energy stocks in the top 10 holdings. There's zero in the top 10 holdings now. And it's mostly tech. You know, you got the Facebook, Amazon, I mean, well, you got Apple and Microsoft are the big ones. And so mm-hmm. it's become a bit of a large cap growth tech index. So just index investing can sometimes force you into over allocation to a certain sector. So the S&P 500 is not 500 evenly allocated stocks. It's really about 
you know, 15 to 20 stocks that are controlling the movement. It's large cap tech right now. So you need other asset classes in there. Otherwise, you will face periods of big outperformance, but also then the big pullbacks because everybody's been invested into it. Um, and so that, that's not a big deal for younger people, but it is for retirees because the thing you have to shelter yourself from is when you do have the pullbacks is you have to make sure you have enough cash, dividends and interest and other income from like social security so that you never have to sell during a pullback. Because as soon as you sell during a pullback, you've locked in losses that if you wouldn't have sold, will come back and then some. So what's on your shopping list? Because I could look at mine and this is going to tell you how old and stuffy I am. Um, I've been doing financial media for 25 years, roughly. And like I used to set up Yahoo portfolios. I could kind of cheat on air and I, it was semiconductors. It was hardware. It was software. It was uh, financial banks like Goldman. Like I had all these little categories. So I, it's, they're still around. I still look at them, but I've got a shopping list called shopping list stocks that I've always wanted to own when there's a correction or stocks that I want to double down on if there's a bear market. Mm-hmm. What's on, what's on your list? Well, on, for most of the stuff that I do in the small cap emerging market and uh, international side, mm-hmm. I, I tend to use uh, mostly managed funds and retirement accounts for that because you know, they're specializing in those areas. For a personal shopping list, what I'm looking for is dividend achiever stocks, stocks that are, uh, have a history of paying a dividend increase in it by 10% a year. That's on my personal list. So whenever I see one of those have a big decline, I start looking into it. And, um, or if it's a specific sector, right? So anytime a sector or an asset class has a fall of more than 10%, I start digging into it and looking for the buying opportunity and then start really heavily buying at a 20% dip. Because usually the market is a really bad at current pricing. It'll overreact in the, sh- in the near term, but effectively price it out in the long term. Um, so I just look for the, the bargains. Um, and for example, in, in 2020, when stuff fell really hard, I, I jumped in a lot of small cap value. It fell way too hard. You could prove just based on revenues of those companies that are held in some of the ETFs and funds that this stuff fell way too hard. And that's the buying opportunity. It really was a good time to get in. Interesting because I pulled some notes for the segment from 2016. In 2016, it was like Asian stocks were getting hit. And this time it's small caps were getting hit. And again, it's kind of a rolling correction world out there and shopping lists are important. Anything else that we need to know on this segment uh, before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, it's just, you know, the idea of, of building wealth is fine. You can control your asset allocation and, and pick up the stuff that you don't own enough of by changing your allocation, your contributions in your 401k, for example. In retirement, it's, it's a matter of when the market's up, sell the stuff that did really, really well to replenish what your targeted cash reserves are. And you have to work with a CFP to figure that out. Can I ask a question? So, you know, I got a big chunk of change last year and I told my CFP who works with you, Brad, I said, uh, let's do it over. Let's get it in the markets over 18 months. He said, I said, nah, let's do it over 12 months. And then there comes a correction along the way. Should I ever say like, let's get it all in now or should I stick with the original plan? Second guessing myself. When you create an averaging in plan, uh-huh. it's you, you never want to stop it. You can accelerate it if there's a dip. Okay. But never stop it. So, you know, yeah, you would have, if, and that's a long period of time. I usually like a four to six month period at the most. Yeah, I'm with you. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him. He is a regional director for EP Wealth. He works with a lot of financial planning teams. 
You can find him at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. He's got a podcast, New Focus on Wealth, with Chad Burton, Google, Apple, Spotify, and many more. If you need a financial plan reviewed, set an appointment with him. You can find him online and do that at chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.